As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to PDI, boys and girls. It's time for another public display of imagination adventure. So hop on board and shush the crowd because we're about to step inside the pages of another thrilling bestseller. And there's no telling what we might find. I got six strings of stories worth telling, learn it all where the turtles meet. Now it's full steam ahead with these dreams in my head, making tracks where I stomp my feet. My feet are bare and my clothes out of way. I got you thinking that I ain't. Theme music for the Public Display of Imagination podcast is provided by Joe King, J Bone Fettinger, and Zachary Motes. You can find the complete playlist for Milltown Road Band on Spotify. Welcome to Public Display of Imagination, where we talk to authors about their deepest, darkest secrets, the pet they always wanted to have, the superhero they always wanted to be, and sometimes we even talk about their books. I'm your host, Mark Dwayne Combs. With any luck, no one will ever find out that you listen to this show, and if they do, you can always play that I Lost a Beck card. And now that we've got all that nonsense out of the way, let's find out who we're talking with today. Today's guest grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. She received her master's degree in creative writing from Butler University, and under intense pressure, she will confess to having a lifetime love of fairy tales. She also loves to travel and can lay claim to having set foot on all seven continents, which sounds like a secondary adventure that we'll just have to explore a little later on. Currently, she works as the senior copywriter with John Wiley & Sons Publishing Company. Prior to her current role, she also served in the company's editorial and publicity positions. In 2019, she published a young adult adventure featuring an arrogant warrior princess who has to wrestle with some very difficult decisions and the fallout from choices made. In 2020, she produced book number one in a series built from the legendary tales of King Midas and the previously untold tales of his young daughter. Today, we're going to step into the pages of that series and listen to the heartbeat with the talented author who gave it life. Please welcome our tour guide for today's adventure, Annie Sullivan. Annie, thanks so much for setting aside the time. 
Of course. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. I looked at your books and what a fun story. I can't wait to dig into them and find out a little bit more here. But your bio tells me that you visited all seven continents. And, you know, I don't often get to talk with someone who's done that and can uh, put that little check mark in a box. I want to save some of the specific details for a little later. But I got to know, did this just happen for you? Was it a life goal? Did you reach a point where you had five pushpins in the wall map of the world and decided it was time to buy a thick overcoat and catch a boat to Antarctica? How, How did this unfold? Well, my parents have always been big travelers. And so for me, it was just kind of a natural thing that, you know, I wanted to travel too because they'd taken me to so many places. And once you get that travel bug, once it bites you, there's no going back. You're, you're kind of infected for life, right? So, um, yeah, it was just something I've always wanted to do. And I actually tried. I tried to get there to all seven continents before I was 30. I didn't quite make it. I was 30, 31 when I made it. But yeah but I okay. did it. Right. I've made it to North America. That's me. So Woo, uh, we'll kind well, of go for that. Yeah, I know. There's it, so much to see. It is a checkbox. So, you know, I've seen some of the states. Um, but it sounds like that uh, you hit the first four continents in a uh, suitcase. And then after that, your parents <laughs> let you out to travel. Yes, they did. Yes, I was lucky enough. Um, I've been to about 60 countries as well. So I wow. studied abroad in Spain and in Ireland, um, which were both amazing experiences as well. Well, you're ready to fill in for Josh Gates on the Travel Channel. And maybe if you'll do that, <laughs> I'll actually get the long-awaited, long-hunted-for, multiple-times-ask-for interview with Josh. And folks, if there's oh. anyone in the audience that knows Josh, hook a brother up, would you? I'd love to talk to the man. A curse... <laughs> of gold just released it's book number two in the series book number one is a touch of gold the backdrop for this storyline is drawn from the legend of king midas who portrayed he's portrayed in greek mythology as having the ability to turn anything he touched into gold i'm curious what drew you specifically to the story of midas and how much were you interested in detailing some of the historical tale as a launching point for the series Yeah, I think the, I mean, like you said in the introduction, I've always loved fairy tales, Um, but the specific kind of, you know, inspiration for this novel actually came from a couple different sources. Um, First of all, it came from the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean, Okay. which sounds a bit odd, (laughs) but what I mean by that is when I watched that movie as a child, of course, I loved it because, I mean, dashing pirates and adventure and all that good stuff. Um, But it really got me thinking about cursed gold and how they had to track down every single piece of that treasure, right? Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about cursed gold and and where that led me. And that led me to King Midas. And I was like, oh, yeah, his cursed gold. And then I was like, what about his daughter? Because in so many versions of the original myth, he turns his daughter to gold. But she's such a forgotten character, you know? Um, She's just there as a means to an end to kind of realize like, oh, it was a mistake to turn things to gold because I just, you know, kind of murdered my daughter, turned into a statue. Um, so I wanted to see if his daughter found a way to be turned back into a living, breathing human being, what would her story be? What would her oh, okay. side effects be from being turned to gold as a child by your father? I mean, would you have magical gold side effects? Would you have, you know, a fear of gold? What would your relationship with your father be like? There were so many things that I just wanted to explore in a, again, kind of fun, piratey, high seas adventure with some Greek mythology 
thrown in there. Kind of just really fun story. This also sounds like that you need to keep a psychiatrist on speed dial for <laughs> some of these things, too. I actually do. I have I have a therapist that I talk to, and every <laughs> once in a while I'll be like, so tell me about this character. What do you think he would do? And Because I do have some characters who are more narcissistic or like just different things, and I'm like, okay, let's really dive deep into that and figure out how that would affect a character. Or, you know, and Cora does. She does have a bit of you know, PTSD. And of course sure. it's not called that because it's, you know, it's a fantasy world and they wouldn't, they wouldn't name it that, but it's kind of something that she does have as well. So you can kind of get into these really deep issues while at the same time, just tackling a fun fantasy adventure. Well, yeah. And folks, that's something we've never talked about is authors having a relationship, not specifically with their psychiatrist, but using the whole asking for a friend angle could be helpful, and I think in this instance, since we're dealing with a young lady that obviously had a, um, shall we say, some challenges in her childhood, um, she she might benefit from something like that. She's the daughter of the legendary king. You already told us her name's Cora. You introduced mm-hmm. her in book one. She's got an unmistakable quality. Her skin is golden, and so she kind of stands out in a crowd. And she also kind of has a little bit of a secret that she's trying to keep under wraps somewhat. Introduce us to Cora. Tell us a little bit more about her. Yes. So Cora is 17 years old. She's, um, you know, obviously the daughter of King Midas, like you said. And she does have that golden skin. Um, so in the beginning of the book, when we meet her, she's actually wearing a very, you know, thick veil. And she's covered head to toe. And you're not exactly sure why. I mean, you know she has this golden skin. But there's... Definitely something else going on there because she's terrified to touch gold. And it kind of turns out that as a child, um, she discovered that she also has the ability to turn things to gold. But her kind of ability works in a very unique way. It's such that if she touches something that's gold, she will absorb the gold from that object. And then the next thing she touches turns to gold. Um, and that's kind of how the gene kind of like, or the curse kind of mutated within her. Mm. Um, and so she's terrified, you know, because one day as a child, she accidentally turned a man to gold. And while she turned him back, the man fled. Um, and it was said that he drowned himself because he was, you know, so disturbed by what had happened to him. So she thinks she has killed this man, right? Um, which may or may not be true. You have to read the book to see yeah. what happens there. But, you know, she's terrified of ever doing that again, of, of causing someone else pain and harm because um, she knows she knows what it's like to be trapped in that kind of golden cocoon with like the gold just cased around you. And she was able to hear and and think and things like that when she was gold as a statue. But when she was turned back, you know, she still has this golden skin. And so she's actually an outcast in her own palace. Um, there's all these rumors about her that, you know, at night she turns back into a golden statue or if you look her in the eye, you'll turn to gold or, you know, all these different things. And so she doesn't really have friends. Um, you know, no one wants to get close to her. So she lives a very limited existence. You know, she was kind of quarantining before it was cool, you know, just kind of staying in her <laughs> palace. Um, but um, she's a really she's a soft character who learns her own strength and she learns to love the things about herself that weren't originally the things she thought were her strengths, you know, but she kind of comes into her own when her father's gold gets stolen because another side effect of being turned to gold into one of those golden objects is that she can sense them. So when her father's gold gets stolen, she has to be the one to go out and bring it back um, because her father is actually tied to the gold as well in in an interesting way. So it's kind of like, 
her journey to not only bring the gold back to save her father, but to find out who she is. You know, she has to leave the protection of her palace um, where anywhere, you know, she has people who keep gold away from her. But now she has to go out into the world and face it. So it's kind of her journey to become, you know, from a from a timid young woman to more of a strong princess that she always wanted to be. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I know two things about gold. Number one, it's really heavy. And number two, if you turn someone to gold and they fall into a pond, they're going to the bottom. So I can understand her fear of, is he alive? Did he make it? You brought up an interesting concept there that while she had been turned to gold, she still could sense, uh, I guess, hear and understand everything that was going Mm -hmm. on around her. It almost has the feel of someone that's in a coma and can't respond to the world around them, but knows everything that's happening. Did you explore the uh, concept of that with somebody or just right from your imagination there? That one was just more my imagination. I just wanted her to be able to kind of hear and kind of know what was going on, I guess, in the world around her because her father was trying to find a way to save her um, because, you know, she's this, this golden statue mm-hmm. and, it was just kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. Am I alone? I don't know. Like I'm kind of trapped here. And, you know, every time they would try to move this golden statue, it would be like they were burning the gold further and further into her body. It felt like, so it's just a really intense scenario where like, you kind of think, Oh, maybe you get turned to gold and you're just kind of like frozen. But like, it was actually just quite painful in a way. Wow. It reminds me a little bit in some aspects, and my wife is a very big fan of the X-Men comic books, the graphic novels, etc. She's read almost everything X-Men. They have a character named Rogue, who is a young woman who has her, I guess, mutation gene allows her to absorb, I'm going to say, the essence of anyone and everyone that she touches. She's always portrayed with some sort of covering, some gloves, etc., to kind of protect those that she doesn't want to affect in that way. Did that kind of have a familiar ring to it with the aspect of this character? Did did that kind of so story much. have any, uh, any influence on you in any way? Oh, I'm sure it did, because, I mean, I grew up watching the X-Men movies, too, okay, and so okay. Princess Korra definitely does wear gloves. I mean, Wait. they're like... Her safety blanket. Wait a minute. You said you grew up watching the X-Men movies. I just feel <laughs> 75 all of a sudden. 
Because... <laughs> wow. No, okay. don't feel no. old. I was probably like, I was probably, I don't even know. Like Lie to teens, me here. 20s. <laughs> I don't know. Don't feel bad. Oh. Just feel joy that you got to watch them and yeah, all that, that good stuff. That is, actually, it's very funny. Someone, and, and this again, played with my sense of, my daughter says that I have been born at a very safe distance from the apocalypse this past year or so. <laughs> I've been wondering about that assertion, but that was her way of telling me that I'm old. Um, but just, just recently, someone posted on my Facebook feed uh, songs that turned 40 this year. Aww. And yeah, that was a little bit scary. Without giving away the story too much mm-hmm. what do readers discover about her magical powers and and what kind of trouble do they get her into in book one and and that's specifically because i know that's where you really had this voyage of discovery with her as to how all this was going to work and what kind of problems it might pose yes well she definitely ends up on a cutthroat island of pirates um which if you've got golden skin and you're rumored to be, you know, made of gold, pirates, you know, might cause some problems because they love gold and they'll do anything to get it. So that's definitely something she has to look out for. And there's also some sirens involved, but she may or may not be able to fight them because water is the one thing that's said to be too pure to be turned to gold. And Mm. if they're made out of water, she may not be able to save everybody. So. Yeah, so there's some kind of fun sneak peeks of the things that she has to face, Um, you know, not to mention a whole other horde of pirates and bad guys and thieves. All right, so there's plenty of peril and climax in book one. I've got an idea that since this is a series, that may pave the way for conflict in book two, which is A Curse of Gold. That one just released. What type of challenges await Korra in book two? Oh, man. Book two, stakes are definitely raised. So she has to find a way to actually break the curse that's kind of over her and her father, because her father, like I said, is is tied to the gold in a very interesting way. It kind of almost um, almost like a horcrux from Harry Potter. It kind of is like attached to his soul a little bit. And so they think destroying the gold would kill him, but it's kind of siphoning his energy and it. You know, it's really affecting him. So she has to find a way to save him. Um and that might just mean going up against the trickiest god the world or the underworld has ever known um, when she sets out on her journey. And she has to find the guy who gave her father the touch in the first place. Mm. But because he's known as the trickiest god, she might just have to enter into a bet with him. A bet that a human has never been able to win. And there's a lot more Greek mythology in this one, there might be some Gorgons like Medusa. So you might just find out what happens when a girl who can turn things to gold with her touch comes eye to eye with a Gorgon who can turn things to stone. Oh, that does sound like an interesting standoff. I mean, the birthplace of this story was Midas, but it's very clear that it encapsulates Mm -hmm. a lot of different realms of Greek mythology. And you can't launch a story from one sandbox in Greek mythology and then totally ignore everything else. You've (laughs) mentioned Gorgons. You've mentioned Medusa. You've mentioned Sirens. There's this tricky Greek god, which I think I have Mm -hmm. an idea who that might be. If we were talking about Asgardians, I'd know it was Loki. But in Greek mythology, I have an idea, (laughs) but I'm not going to expose that one because that may be a secret we want to hold back. Oh, 
Not well, a secret. I think they say, I think I say it in the first book. The guy who gave him the touch is Dionysus. Okay. All right. So, yes. Who, it's very interesting, even there, you know, going in and, and researching him because he's often thought of kind of more of a, more about like debauchery and that kind of stuff, a lot of drinking and wine. You right, know, that's how yeah. he's, he's often depicted. But he's also sometimes referred to as the god of chaos as well. And so I kind of took chaos to a little extra level there um, with him. And he loves to mess with humans. He loves to pretend he's offering them something great and grand, when in reality, he knows that it's just going to cause more chaos when they start to use this power. And let's be honest, enough wine can lead to enough chaos that <laughs> will happen. Exactly. If you're an immortal god, then like you got to do something to entertain yourself. So why not play with little humans? Sure. Why not play with little humans? That sounds like a fun thing to do. Characters and character <laughs> development. We're going to dig into both a little deeper on the other side of this break. Annie Sullivan is our tour guide for today's adventure. We're talking about her series, Touch of Gold. Book number two just released. It's a curse of gold. You don't want to go anywhere, folks. We will be right back. This is Leslie Lutz, author of Fractured Tide, and you're listening to Public Display of Imagination with your host, Mark Dwayne Combs. I used to dream that I was a king and I could fly far away. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of those who have become friends of the show through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash PDI and become a valued part of the show. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash p-d-i. Your support moves that needle. We're at the midpoint of this week's adventure, and there's more great conversation just ahead. But I want to take just a moment to thank those of you who are podcast subscribers and those of you who help to support the show through our Patreon page. We love bringing these conversations your way each week, but there is a physical cost involved in producing the adventures. We're going to have to replace some of the outdated computer equipment in our recording studio by the end of the year. And without the support that we get from our podcast listening family, doing things like that just wouldn't be possible. So if you really enjoy the podcast, we appreciate your support through Patreon slash PDI. There's a link to it on the host page for each adventure. Another great way you can show your support for the show is by using the links to Amazon found throughout the Public Display of Imagination website. Whenever you use one of our links to go to the Amazon site, we get a small percentage of override on your purchase, whatever it might be. So if you clicked on a book title but ended up purchasing a build-your-own Star Wars droid kit for the grandkids, wink wink, or a new decorative planter for your reading room, well, your purchase just helped the show because you used one of our links to get to the Amazon site. So if you're going to Amazon, please let us be your doorway. The Sendable Social Media Management Tool is another great way you can support the show. If you're an author, a publicist, a publisher, or anyone who uses social media to help promote your business, I promise you, you won't find a more useful application anywhere. 
Like Amazon, we've got links to Sendable on almost every page of the website. Click on the Sendable image and take a free 14-day test drive on us. We've been using Sendable for over a year, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. One last thing. Don't forget to check out the host page for this adventure. I realize you're probably listening to the podcast via iTunes, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Deezer, or one of a host of other podcast listening platforms, and we hope you'll give us a rating and a review while you're listening. But the adventure host pages on the Public Display of Imagination website are where you will find links to the authors, their books, and their social media pages. You'll also see links to the Inside the Writers workshop segment with today's guest. We just uploaded it to our Public Display of Imagination YouTube channel, and it's waiting there just for you. You can watch it from the host page, or you can watch it from YouTube. It's one of my favorite segments, and we're excited to bring these extended author interview segments your way via our YouTube channel. So I hope you'll check out Public Display of Imagination on YouTube and explore all of our fantastic Inside the Writer's Workshop conversations. Now, let's get back to this week's PDI Adventure. This is Daniel Krauss, the co-author of The Living Dead and The Shape of Water, and you're listening to Public Display of Imagination with your host, Mark Dwayne Combs. I know what you're thinking Think you got me figured out. All right, we're back. My guest, Annie Sullivan. We're talking about her book series, Touch of Gold. Book number two is A Curse of Gold. It's just released. These are young adult books, Annie, and I realized that from the get-go, the story that we're telling here would be quite captivating for a young reader, but I also know that you've got a very expansive website. I've visited that, and you're available in a couple of locations on social media. I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you on the web, and if they want to follow your work a little bit more closely to see what's coming around the corner, or maybe even reach out and ask a question about something in one of your books, where's the best place to connect with Annie Sullivan online? Yeah, well, I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so uh, you can find me, you know, facebook.com slash author Annie Sullivan. Um, and I'm, I'm not great about answering questions there if you message them to me, but definitely contact me on my website, which is AnnieSullivanAuthor.com. And there's a contact form that comes directly to me. So any questions you have, always happy to answer them. I love to talk and interact with fans and just fellow readers. Um, so drop me a line anytime. Um, yeah, and then Instagram and Twitter, you can find me both at A-N-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A. That's my my handle there. And I just love, like, posting pictures and, you know, doing fun things with my books and posting travel pictures. So if you want to see some of those guys, definitely go there and check that out as well. I did just join TikTok. I'm not going to say that I'm very good at it. Um, I think... Maybe it's meant for a younger generation, but if you're really into TikTok and you just want to see me on there, you can find me at author Annie Sullivan on there. And folks, we'll have links to all of these places on the host page for this adventure. I realize a lot of you are listening to the podcast via whatever podcast listening platform you use, whether it's iTunes or Google's or iHeartRadio, any of those. I think over in Europe, it's Deezer, and we've got a lot of 
folks that listen to the show over in Europe and, and places oh, like wow. that. The the host page, the adventure host page for each of our guests, that's where you're going to find all the direct information about the guests. You'll get links to their website, to their social media feed. You'll get links to their books on Amazon. So you can click and get right there on Amazon uh, for their books. All of that is on the host pages for each one of these conversations. And Annie, I know that on your website, something else that I saw was that you have teacher guides for classroom discussion and book club discussions. And as we mentioned a little bit ago, these are geared towards a young adult audience. That doesn't mean adults don't read them because adults read a lot of young adult (laughs) material and thoroughly enjoy it. But you have there for teachers that uh, maybe are teaching literary classes in middle school or high school and and they've chosen your book as something for the, the class to read or for book clubs. So tell us a little bit about the teacher guides. What might someone find there? Yeah, so the teacher guides are actually written by actual teachers and um, and professionals who come in and say, okay, you know, if you wanted to teach this book to your students, what would be great questions to ask? Um, you know, really thought-provoking things. I mean, many of the things that we've actually covered here today, you know, like the development of Cora, how does she become kind of a new person once she leaves her palace behind? Um, you know, different things like that. How does her relationship with her father kind of progress or change? Um, so it's a good way to kind of get kids thinking and hopefully kind of just gets them to think like, oh, you know, hey, this girl was was shy or bullied or afraid, but she came through it, right? Like there's hope if that's something that that child is going through that that maybe, you know, they can also, they can get through it because their favorite characters get through it. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a good, robust guide that's on there. For any teacher, it's free, free to download. Um, so hop on there or send it to a teacher. I know some schools actually have requirements where they have to teach some sort of Greek myth. Mm-hmm. So if that's you guys and you want to um, download a, a Touch of Gold or a Curse of Gold teacher guide, it's there ready and waiting. Awesome. Let's uh, let's look at research because that's important for any story that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be properly told. But the Greek mythology well is a pretty deep well. How much did you know about that world going in? And what did you feel that you really needed to know a little bit better if you were going to be fair with that backdrop? Yeah, I started out as a child. Again, it wasn't just fairy tales I loved. It was like all sorts of adventure tales. So my mom would show us this old... Okay, maybe not old. I don't want you to feel old (laughs) if you watched it too. Um, But it was Jason and the Argonauts. And it was from like the 19, I want to say like the 60s, 70s, somewhere in there. But it's really awesome. I mean, I still think it's awesome. Some people are like, oh, it's so hokey. I love it. Um, But it's, you know, it's it's got these like weird, like not quite animated skeletons. I want to say maybe they were done with like clay, claymation, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But it was such a fun story. So I really got into like, Jason and the Argonauts growing up, you know, which has like, I'm pretty sure that one has Medusa in it. And then they even had like newer versions, kind of like newer remakes. But I just love that old story. And so I've always kind of known a fair bit about Greek mythology. I took some some classes on some of it in, in college as well. And it just always fascinated me, kind of the depth of it. But I did still do a lot of research. I mean, there are even just various versions of the King Midas myth that you can find out there. Um, you know, some with a daughter, some without a daughter. Um, sometimes Dionysus, 
gives him gives uh, King Midas the gift of the touch for different reasons. You know, in some versions of the myth, I think um, one of Dionysus' satyrs ends up getting caught in like King Midas's grapevines, and, and King Midas saves the satyr and send it back to Dionysus, and Dionysus is like, "Oh, okay, sweet, that was really nice of you. Here's this touch." So it was kind of like. It's kind of not that, that old adage, like, you have to know the rules in order to be able to break the rules. Mm-hmm. So you have to, like, you have to know the story. You have to know the characters. You have to know who they are. Um, but then a little bit like Rick Riordan in the Percy Jackson series, which is another really, really interesting um, young, it's like middle grade young adult, um, you know, Greek mythology series. It's like you have all these characters and you're kind of recreating them. So it's it's the same familiar Greek mythology, but with a twist, you know. I'll give you I'll give you a little sneak peek because I kind of love this detail. In a couple of versions of the Medusa story, she gets her head chopped off, and I think it's usually Perseus who does it, and he throws the head into the ocean, or they lose the head at the end, and it falls into the ocean after they've um, you know defeated the Kraken, um, which is a giant like sea monster. And so in my version, I actually use that detail. I use the detail of Medusa's head sinking into the sea. And, and in, in Greek mythology, there are actually only three Gorgons, or mm-hmm. Gorgons, however you say right. it. Um, and in my version, I needed more. So I said, how can I get more Gorgons? And so what I ended up doing was saying, okay, we've got Medusa. Her head is in the ocean. What if they reproduced by the snakes on their head? Like, what if the snakes came out after they die and grew up into new Gorgons? And so that's kind of what I did. So I take what I have. The details that we have from the Greek mythology, and you just kind of twist it a little, mm-hmm. and you give it a little bit of new life because you want your reader to be left with something unexpected, with something new, right? Because if it's too familiar, too similar, it feels like you're just reading the same story over and over, right. and you don't want that. So for me, it was about doing a lot of that research and then just kind of amping it up a little bit. Yeah, there's plenty of room for flexibility as long as you pay respect to plausibility. You don't want to go too far out, but at the same time, if this is something that, hey, could lead to another fork in the road somewhere, what is it Yogi Berra used to say? If you come to a fork in the road, take it. So, you know, go there. (laughs) That that's always a fun. Exactly. Yeah, explore. I love that example because that's what I feel like I do. I feel like I, I just pick up that fork and I'm like, okay, we've got a fork. But what if we use this fork for something else other than eating, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, I'm not reinventing Greek mythology, I wouldn't say. Like, I'm not adding a new set of gods or anything like that. I'm just taking what's there and sort of playing with it a little bit. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In the fall of 2013, 
I spiraled down a rabbit hole of the legendary tale of Noah's Flood. And Mm. I had a working knowledge of biblical history, but there were still a lot of questions about the story that were really intriguing to me. So I began to dig into ancient writings. I really wasn't concerned with what modern day people thought or had written about it. I wanted to know what the ancient civilizations had thought and written about it. And it was really interesting story. I you know, began to see how they parsed the story, which was a little bit different as to what happened and why, etc. But as Mm -hmm. I'm working through the research and writing it all down and and kind of forming it into something that could be disseminated in the form of a book, in the spring of 2014, Darren Aronofsky released a film called Noah. And when I heard about Mm -hmm. its release, I was both excited to see his perspective and disappointed that someone had kind of cracked open the same mystery box that I was exploring. (laughs) In the realm of Greek mythology, it offers a wealth of familiar stories and unfamiliar side stories. We've got a lot of aspiring authors that listen to our show, Annie. And there may Mm -hmm. be someone out there that had the same similar experience that I did with a different topic. They're digging into something. They've been working on it. They're forming it into their version of the story that that they want to tell, that they've discovered, and then they see a book release, and it's in the same topic field. Talk to me a little bit first about side stories and things. You've already said, hey, we've got plenty of room for creativity, but if someone else puts out a book, should that put a damper on what you're working on, or should you just plow forward? I think you should plow forward. And there are a couple caveats there. So, I mean, in the young adult market, there's always this joke of, like, never write a vampire book because you cannot sell a vampire book ever again. Right, um, okay. Because Twilight, like, flooded the market, and now you can have nothing. Good to know. Nice- no. I can delete um, those files on my computer. Okay. no no definitely don't because they are actually coming back i mean even i don't know how much you follow the young adult universe but even with i think i think it was just this month that actually uh stephanie meyer just released midnight sun Mm -hmm. which is a retelling of twilight from edward cullen's point of view and it has almost sold out everywhere like you can't even find a copy um it's so popular and so like you know vampires are actually making a comeback so everything kind of has a cycle to it. So like, let's say you're writing something now. And I've, I've actually had this happen. I'm actually writing a book right now that my agent, my literary agent knows about. And she's like, well, I know a couple other people who are trying to sell books like that. And they're not quite going anywhere. And I'm like, man, I hear that. And it's so disappointing. But at the same time, your story is always going to be different. Yeah. You are never going to tell a story the exact same way as someone else. I mean, you can put 20 writers in a room and give them the exact same writing prompt, you know, like write a story about a man who goes to the dentist's office or whatever, you know, write a story about a girl who saves her kingdom. Whatever it is, every single one of them will have a different story, you know, and they say that every story is just a copy of like what is it like five original stories anyway? Um, There's like only so many, you know, tales you can have. So I would just say like, don't give up, like definitely research the market, know what's out there, but don't stop writing something. If you really love it, keep working on it because there could definitely be a place for it. And depending on how quickly you write, the market changes, you know, Um, one day you're selling zombie books the next day you're selling contemporary romance then 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 the next day you know it's 
it's fantasy is selling really well. So just, you know, wait. And even if you just finish it, hold on to it for a little while, because again, the market changes. And like I said, you can suddenly sell vampire books again. So give it some time, take it with a grain of salt and just don't give up on yourself. And we can definitely, you know, talk about that whole publishing journey if you, if you want to, because I mean, I got rejected by over 100 literary agents and that was really hard mm-hmm. uh, because you're constantly being told that like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough, but you just need that one. Right. right? And it's the same when you're trying to sell that book. You just need that one person who loves it. And here's what you get is I can't sell this. And that doesn't mean that mm. someone else doesn't see it as something that they can sell. They may see the market for it that someone else just doesn't see. In the meantime, I'm going to turn all of my vampires into poisonous frogs <laughs> and rewrite that book I was working on. Uh, let's talk a minute about magical powers versus human attributes. I, oh. Question number one. Can you place a restriction on Greek gods? Do they have limitations? If they do, how far can you push it? Magical powers. Is the sky the limit or is there a limit? I think for the Greek gods, I think you have to make sure that they're consistent in their powers um, kind of across the board. You don't want, I mean, granted, some of them have kind of different different things. You know, you've got um, Poseidon who can control the sea and you've got Zeus and you've got you know, Hades and different people who kind of control almost not quite different elements, but different kind of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want them to be almost kind of equal in that way um, because they're all on a level playing field. So I think that's pretty interesting. And actually, I'll give you this this tidbit. I actually do entire classes on world building and on magic because magic is such a complex thing to add to a story. You can't just have one character who has magic, right? Like, where did they get it? How did they use it? Like, where did it come from? Why does only one person have it? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? You have to have some sort of almost hierarchy of magic. Like, okay, if the gods have it, okay, great. Then they're the ones who are giving it to people, right? If wizards have it, are they just born with it? Okay, that's another way. So, like, you have to constantly be thinking across the board, how is this magic working? How is it being wielded? Who can wield it? Do they need wands? Do they use their hands? Do they have to have spells? Like all these things have to come into play and be worked out. And the the very interesting thing about magic, and this is something, again, that I really had to be very particular about in A Touch of Gold, is if your character has some sort of magic ability, like Korra's ability with gold, they are constantly aware of it. If you put them in a situation where they can use that power to get out of it very easily, they need to use it, right? However, that gets very tiring and repetitive for the reader if they're constantly being put in a situation where it's like, oh, well, I just used my power to get out of it. Oh, I just used my power there. Use my power there, right? Like, it's the same thing over and over again. So the, the challenges with magic is it constantly has to get harder, and there constantly have to be villains and obstacles and things um, to overcome that their magic cannot overcome. And that's kind of what I hinted at with the sirens a little bit is if you can't turn water to gold, then how are you going to stop the siren? Right. right. So that is kind of the complexity of magic is, you know, you really have to think about who has it, how it works, how it can be stopped and all those kind of things when you're writing it. Sometimes straightforward isn't the best thing to do. Sometimes <laughs> it's not dumping over the bookshelf on someone it is dumping the bookshelf so that they move to where you can get them with something else that you really wanted to get them with. 
Let's talk about how exactly. human. Yeah, let's talk about how human emotions, traits, strengths, weaknesses, how all of that kind of comes into play. Because the Greek gods, it's like, well, you know, they can do whatever they need to do. They can use their power, as you said, provided mm-hmm. it's not overtly predictable. Where problem, problem solved with magic. Problem, problem solved with magic. But you've also got humans that they may or may not have some abilities, but they've also traffic in a realm of emotion, traits, strengths, weaknesses. All of that connects the reader to the mm-hmm. character, right? Oh, exactly. And I think that's what almost sets apart, you know, the humans from the gods is the humans, you know, they don't live forever. So they have to like, they have to make it count in a way, you know, and they have to be there for one another and they will do anything often to protect one another. And that's something that definitely comes up in a curse of gold is what would you do? What would you risk? What would you bet in order to save someone you love? Um, and that comes up in multiple different places. And you really have to think about what would you give up? What, what is someone's life worth? You know, someone who you love. Um, and there is sort of a magic in love, you know, and in hope and in joy and all these emotions. Like they, they have their own sort of magic to inspire us and to drive us and to make us keep going when we want to give up. So I love that kind of like almost like tiny magic, you know, emotional magic that's in there that sets humans apart from these Greek gods who can just be like, yeah, I could just murder you any way I want right now. <laughs> you know, um, humans have to fight for it and they have to fight harder and better in order to win against a god, an immortal god at that. You talk to a thriller writer and they tell you there has to be conflict, there has to be conflict. You put your character up a tree and throw rocks at them. It sounds like what you're (laughs) telling me in this situation is there has to be something at risk. There has to be something that Mm -hmm. could be lost. Am I on the right track there? Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, and the thriller writers are correct. Um, You cannot have a character who doesn't have a motivation your your villain has to have a motivation and your main character has a motivation. everyone has a motivation if you don't have a character with motivation you don't have a character and you don't have a story because the motivation is what do they want right and in cora's case she wants to save her father but in some other cases like maybe someone wants to save cora but for dionysus you know he just wants chaos like so he doesn't care he'll enter into a bet with you because he knows he's gonna win he's always won because he only enters into bets that he's going to win because he's already thought of a loophole in his own words, you know? So in that case, it's not even just, you know, Korra against a god. It's Korra against the power of words. And she's someone who's grown up with a curse, you know? She knows what her father asked for. She she knows her father asked for the power to turn things to gold, right? And from there, she spent years thinking about how could he have worded it differently, how could you have gotten out of that? You know, like what was the loophole that Dionysus used to turn this against them? You know, because she knows she's going to have to go up against him. And so she's going to have to have all of her wits about her to even stand a chance. Annie, in our opened, we mentioned that you have set foot on all seven continents. I'm going to give you a portal to anywhere you've been in the past. Where do you want to revisit for that out-of-the-ordinary adventure? Oh, I mean, out-of-ordinary is Antarctica. The place I'd want to go right now is Turks and Caicos on the beach. Annie Sullivan, ladies and gentlemen. Annie Sullivan. Her latest release is A Curse of Gold. It is book two in the Trust of Gold series. Links to her books as well as her social media pages 
are posted on the host page for this adventure at publicdisplayofimagination.com. Pick up a copy and start your journey. Annie, all the best for continued success in your career, with your work, with your books, with the new stories you have to tell. I've really enjoyed this today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Yeah, thank you. This was wonderful. And hopefully I'll talk to you guys again soon. I really enjoyed talking with Annie about the Touch of Gold series and reopening the backdrop of the Greek gods, which kind of sets the setting for the stories that she tells. But the fun is only just beginning, folks. In our Inside the Writer's Workshop segment, we'll find out what she's working on now, and we'll take a closer look at her world travels. We're also going to crack open the pages of her first published book, Tiger Queen. You'll find it all on the Public Display of Imagination YouTube channel. We call it our Inside the Writer's Workshop segment, and we do one with each author guest that you hear here on the podcast. You can listen to that portion of the conversation right from the host page for this adventure at publicdisplayofimagination.com. And we hope you're intrigued enough at this point to join us there as we go behind the curtains with Annie Sullivan. You'll also see book summaries on the host page for this adventure and find hot links to Amazon for many of the books that we talked about over the course of our conversation. Thank you for subscribing and listening through whatever podcast listening platform you use to follow the show. Please don't forget to give us a rating and a review. And until next time, remember, the light at the end of someone's darkness may be you. Theme music for the Public Display of Imagination podcast is provided by Joe King, Jaybone Fettinger, and Zachary Motes. You can find the complete playlist for the Milltown Road Band on Spotify. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.